You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Well, good morning, Severe Heights. Uh, you guys feeling good? You doing well? You having a good Sunday? I like it. She was like, I'm feeling so good. That's awesome. Um, I'm so grateful to get to be here. Um, Tim, thank you so much for inviting me. I am... Um, I worked for a church for a long time and uh, wrote a couple of leadership books that gave me the opportunity to go speak on those books, which was wonderful. So I resigned from my job to go do that. And so now I get to go preach at churches on Sunday and speak during the week, which is a wonderful, wonderful experience for me. But I, I have to admit, sometimes I go preach in a church and I get to know the pastor and I realize, oh no, um, you're, uh, you portray something on stage and you're not really that off the stage. Have you ever met a pastor? Have you ever met a pastor that you're like, you're not the same person? One of my favorite things about getting to know Tim over the last couple of years is that that dude is the same person on stage that he is off the stage, which is one of the reasons why I feel so grateful for him and love him so much. And then also what's bizarre, we're both married to two different women because that's the way life works. Um, Their names both happen to be Jenny. How crazy is that? So we both uh, out punted outkicked our coverage. Um, I'm so grateful to get to be here. I was going to say thank you for having me. You didn't have me here. You didn't make this decision. I get it. Tim did. If you like it, great. If you don't like it, good news. Tim's preaching next week anyway. So come back no matter what. Bring somebody with you. Um, We are talking about worry today. How many of you, you would say, I tend to worry? Cool. How many of you were like, I don't? You you even feel bashful. Raise your hand about it, right? Isn't it amazing how you're all married to each other? You know what I'm saying? It's amazing how life works that way, that God allows us to partner up with someone. If you're someone that's kind of prone to be carefree, you typically marry someone who is a worrier. Let's hope that you do. That's how you're living indoors and have food to eat, stuff like that, right? And then those of you that are a worrier, you tend to marry somebody who's a little more carefree. That's at least the way it works in my marriage. My wife is certainly more of a worrier than I am. I'm just less of a worrier, but I don't care who you are, what's going on in your life. Everybody's got stuff that they're worried about. Even if you feel like you have a carefree disposition, we all have stuff that we're worried about. When Tim said we're doing this series called The Art of the Question, it took me a little bit to try to think of what is the question that I would love to get to talk about? Any question that Jesus asked. And so I chose this question right here. Who of you, what a great question, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Isn't that a brilliant question? Who who do you think you are that you, by worrying, could add a single hour to your life. And I got to admit, I am um, driving here this morning. I brought our two daughters with me, our 14-year-old Lucy, our 10-year-old Sally. And we're in the car, and they're asking me, which I was so grateful for. They said, Dad, what are you preaching on today? I said, oh, they're doing the series, art of the question, pick any question Jesus asked. I asked this question, or I picked this question. Uh, who of you, by worrying, could add a single hour to your life? And our 14-year-old Lucy goes, Dad, Don't you think it's a bit of an unusual Sunday for you to be preaching that message, seeing as how we just got an extra hour last night? (laughs) I was like, huh. I am both proud and also ashamed all at the same time. (laughs) So if you would, you know, in a 
like, you know, some big trial, they asked the jury, they said, please strike that from your memory, which has got to be hard, you know, it's like, ah, oh, the person on the stand just admitted to murder, yeah, act like you never heard it, you know, okay, how am I going to do that? Well, if you would, act like you didn't hear that, okay, because I don't want that to get in your mind as we're talking about this, Jesus' question is still incredibly profound, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? I, I, I tried to visually depict what worrying feels like. And I would have chosen a bigger rock, but I didn't want to have to carry it. This is what worry feels like, right? And, and it may, I don't know what it might be for you. It could be your financial uncertainty. It could be some relational uncertainty. It could be aging parents. It could be a child that's making some difficult decisions. It could be your own health. It could be the conflict that's happening in the world. It could be the uncertainty in our country. It could be the economy. Who knows what it could be, but we are all carrying around certain worries or anxieties. And I just got to say, I'm always a little concerned to talk about worry and anxiety in a church because I recognize there are some people who have been diagnosed by a doctor of having a, a, a mental health challenge that we call anxiety. And maybe you've been prescribed medicine and maybe that medicine is working, maybe it's not working, but either way, I just wanna say, for those of you that would say, hey, my worry, my anxiety, it has to do with my brain. It has to do with the way I'm wired. And it's not necessarily just an issue of faith or an issue of believing God or trusting God. I so get that. And I just want to recognize that and say, hey, if that is you, then please just take a pass on today. Just listen today. And if it's helpful, great. And if it's not, just move on. But for the rest of you that would say, hey, I'm, I'm kind of in gen pop. I've got just general worry, general anxiety. It's not necessarily something that's chemically going on in my brain or something. It's not a health crisis, evidently, or, or, or maybe it's just what's, it's just the general stuff I'm worried about. Finances, children, parents, relationship, conflict, uncertainty. When, when you worry, when you got the skill of worry, you can really find anything to be worried about. My, my wife, I told you that she's prone to worry more. And I had a day when, when we were first married, it was probably year one of our marriage and she was all carefree and acting all upbeat and stuff. And I was asking her, I was like, this is uh, something, what, what's going on? Like, you seem like you're real free and you're not worried about anything. She's like, should I be? I was like, I'm so sorry. She's like, no, seriously, why did you ask me that question? And I was like, I don't know, I'm sorry I said it. And she said, sometimes I worry about not having anything that I'm worried about. And I was like, this is so foreign to me. How many of you can relate to that? That you worry sometimes about, should I be worried about something? Is there something I don't know about, right? Worry is the present emotion of inner turmoil that's produced by the uncertainty of the future. Worry is the, it's, it's, it's having that inner turmoil. It's an emotion of inner turmoil that's produced by something uncertain out in the future. And if you're wondering, do I have it? I'll give you some of its symptoms. Headaches, muscle pain, could be hot flashes, chills. It could be accelerated heart rate, numbness, tingling, depersonalization, derealization, upset stomach, nausea, shortness of breath, feeling like you're going insane, dizziness, or feeling faint. That pretty much covers it all, wouldn't you say, right? The truth is, is, if you think you might have it, you probably do. But here's why I wanted to talk about this is because we carry around worry and anxiety like a software virus. It gets heavy. 
I mean, my arms are already starting to shake just by holding this little rock right here. But there's a lot of us that are just walking around in life carrying this. And it's no wonder that we feel weighed down. It's no wonder that we feel like I can't be my full self. It's no wonder that we think I'm not operating at my best because I'm carrying this around. It, uh, unfortunately, what it does, and I'm gonna have to set this thing down so I can preach this message. What it does is it, it, it subtly slows us down. And then it quietly just keeps us from operating at our full speed. If Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Worry, anxiety, fear of the future, concerns about the uncertainty of the future. It's what keeps us from experiencing that life to the full. It just weighs us down. And it gets tiring to hold it like that. And so what we, what we eventually do is we eventually just go, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just make this a little simpler. Like, I, I don't want people to have to see this. I don't want people to have to know that I'm carrying this around. So let me just make it a little bit more convenient. And so maybe we get a backpack and we put our worries in that backpack and then we just carry it around like this. And we go, okay, I can handle this, right? And all of us, it seems, are walking around in 2023, weighed down by the things that we're concerned about the eventualities and the uncertainties of what may or may not happen. And anxiety, ultimately, it, it hurts us. It certainly helps no one, but it just slows us down. I love this quote, that anxiety is, is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere, right? And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Where you feel like, yeah, I just, this is just what I do. It's just who I am. It's just part of me. I've learned to adapt. Yeah, I'm not operating at full speed, but I'm doing okay. I'm just kind of making it. Today, today's a day of freedom. My hope is that today would be a day of release. Today would be a day of relief that God, in his grace, in his mercy, in his kindness, would help us know what to do with all that we're carrying around. The, the answer, here's the good news, the answer is not stop worrying. Just stop. Has anyone ever told you that? You tell a friend that, you're like, I got some stuff I'm really worried about. They're like, really? What's going on? And you tell them and they're like, well, well, just stop worrying. And you're like, thanks a lot. Not helpful. You know? I mean, imagine that if that was my sermon today, you know? It's like, hey, Tim, thanks so much for having me here. Uh, I wanted to talk about this question. Who of you, by worrying, get out a single hour of your life? Anybody worried? Well, stop. Let's pray. Right? That would be pretty insensitive. It's kind of like, have you ever had, a, you ever had sleep problems, you know? can't fall asleep telling somebody about it. They're like, have you tried trying to fall asleep? No, I haven't. Interesting. Really great thought. Say more, right? No, it's, it's ridiculous to try to tell somebody, stop worrying. And the good news is that's not what we see in the story of scripture. 
We don't see the authors of the New Testament. We don't see Jesus himself saying, oh, are you worried? Well, take two of these and then stop. No, he doesn't say that. In fact, we're gonna look at two authors in the New Testament. One immediate follower of Jesus named Peter. One author, his name is Paul, who followed Jesus a little bit later on. Both of them had something very specific to say about worry. First, we're gonna look at what Peter said. First Peter chapter five, verse five. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If you use technology, read along, or we're gonna put it up on the screen. First Peter chapter five, verse five. He says, all of you, all of you, he starts with that phrase, all of you. In case you're wondering today, does that include me? It does, all of you. Uh, y'all don't remember this. I can tell you're a bit of a younger crowd. Maybe some of you will. Anybody go to the uh, skating rink when you were a kid? When I was a kid, that was like a normal Friday night. We're going to go roller skating, okay? Some of you are like, uh, you're talking like you're from another world, all right? Well, it seems a long time ago. In fact, when I was growing up and you wanted to, um, you wanted to um, present yourself in a positive way to someone of the opposite sex, they called that having game, okay? Some would say you may even want to go to the roller skating rink tonight and spit some game, okay? That may also be what you would say. Anybody have teenagers or anybody under the age of 20 know what we call that today? What is that called today? <laughs> Thank you, Riz, yeah. Or do you work with kids? Do you... Teen, you go, oh, you got a teenager in your house. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's like from some TikTok vid, video where somebody was talking about charisma, but instead of charisma, they were like, yo, you got W Riz, you got L Riz. Like, I'm about to put you on the scale of how much Riz you have. And if you have a lot of Riz, they may call you the Rizard of Oz. <laughs> if you're trying to work on your Riz, they may tell you, you might ought to go take a class from the professor of Rizics. <laughs> these are just things that these teenagers talk about these days. When I was a kid, the place you would go and do that would be the roller skating rink. You would take your Riz and go to the roller skating rink and try to spit game at a lady. And so what they would do is the DJ of the roller skating rink would be like, yo, all the guys, it's the fellas skate, you know, so all the guys would go skate. All the ladies out on the ring, it's the ladies skate. Ladies would go skate. All the fifth graders, all the seventh graders. And then they'd be like, uh-oh, it's an all skate. And that's when you were like, oh, it's on, where is she? You know, you'd be like back skating, being like, what's up, you know? This is what he's trying to tell us. He's trying to say, this is an all skate. This is for all of you. This is for every one of you. There's nobody excluded. It's everybody is in on this and he's gonna tell us, let me help you understand yourself. Let me help you understand relationships and let me help you understand anxiety, worry. He says, all of you, clothe yourself with humility. Put it on. If we were gonna do a fit check, check out what everybody's wearing, what your brands are. He's saying the best thing that anybody could be wearing is humility. What, what is humility? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. You know, it's not, it's not healthy to think too much of yourself, nor is it healthy to think too lowly of yourself. Tim Keller, a uh, remarkable pastor who passed away this year, actually. Tim Keller took a quote from C.S. Lewis, kind of massaged it, made it his own, and said, 
Humility is not thinking, uh, thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. It's getting to the point where I don't have to sit around and think of myself. Humility is I understand that there is a world that I'm living in. Humility is I see the almighty God. Humility is I understand how massive God is and I don't have to make everything about myself. In fact, it would be inappropriate for me to do so because it is not about me, which is really the essence of the story of the Bible. There is a God and it is not you. That's the story. Y'all know those birds in Finding Nemo? Y'all seen that movie, Finding Nemo? Y'all know those birds that fly around the dock? What do those birds say? Yeah, it's like the most theologically astute statement that Disney has ever made. Because that is how we come out of the womb. Just going mine, 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 trying to get mine, trying to claim mine, trying to hold on to mine. I'm just easily trying to make life about me. And he says, don't do that. No, instead, clothe yourself, wear humility, specifically toward one another. I like this idea. He's like, this is in relationship. If you want to understand relationship, clothe yourself in humility, to which our first thought is, but you don't know her. You don't know him. That they don't deserve that. And he doesn't say, clothe yourself in humility because they're better than you. Nope. Clothe yourself in humility because they deserve it. Nope. He says, clothe yourself in humility because God opposed the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud. God sets himself up against those who are prideful. Think about this. I mean, maybe some of you are going, I got a promotion coming up this month and I want to get God on my side. Some of you are like, we went on a first date and I got a second date coming up. I want to get God on my side. Some of you are like, the bulldogs are coming to town and we need God up on our side. I thought there'd be more of an amen to that. Your best friends have that common enemy with each other, right? I want to get God on my side. And he says, the way you get God on your side is to clothe yourself in humility. Because God opposes the proud. God sets himself up on the opposite side of pride. Pride says, I got this. Pride says, I can handle this. Pride says, I, I, look, you don't need to worry about it. I got it. Pride says, my shoulders are big enough. My shoulders are broad enough. My back is strong enough to be able to handle this. Humility, humility knows I can't. Humility knows, no, I ain't got this. I I don't have this. I don't have the ability to carry this. Who, Who do I think I am to think that I have what it takes to ensure certainty for someone else? Who do I think I am to think that I have enough to ensure my own health or to ensure somebody else's health or to ensure somebody else's good decision? or to ensure peace in any conflict? Who, who do I think I am? Pride says, I got this. I'm not saying that every time you have anxiety, it's because of pride, but I'm just saying it's the root of all evil. And it usually starts with, I'm carrying something that I wasn't meant to carry. He says, all of you clothe yourselves in humility because God opposes the proud, but gives grace, gives favor to the humble. And then he says, 
Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Look at this. What a powerful verse. He says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. It's recognizing the might of God. Recognizing where I should be in relation to God. Recognizing that he is and I'm not. You know what athletes say these days when they make a good play? What do they do? They run over to the camera and they say, I am him. It's kind of ridiculous, but you'll see it everywhere. I'm him. I'm him. Humility says, no, I'm not, I'm not him. Because I, I know who he is. I, I know who he is, and so I know who I'm not. And humbling yourself, recognizing God's mighty hand, is what gives us that lift that we're often looking for. But look at that last phrase. But he says, in due time. In due time. What, what is in due time? I, I don't know what in due time is, but I know what in due time is not. And it might not be in this message today. It might not be in this service today. It might not be during this week. It might not be during this month. I don't know what in due time is, but I know that we are a culture, a society that is addicted to immediate. We love praying about something today, hoping God answers it by tomorrow and putting it on that praise report the next day. We are addicted to that. I mean, we're a culture, y'all. Y'all know what a hot pocket is? It's a meal. It's a full meal that you make in like 90 seconds. We are a society that burns our mouths on Hot Pockets. Think about that. We pop that thing in the microwave for 90 seconds. We're about like, oh, I'm about to leave no crumbs. Like, this is going to be so good. And then we like, yeah, bite into it. Just like that burning hot lava into our mouth. We can't even wait. We can't even wait on that. Y'all, y'all know, uh, you know what a Pop-Tart is? I mean, Pop-Tart is like, this Pop-Tart is the most American thing ever, right? We took like a French, this French pastry, and we were like, hold my beer, watch this, right? I mean, we were like, look what we're about to do. Sorry, I said beer. We, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's remarkable. If some of you are like, I don't eat that stuff, whatever. Okay, well, you should try it because it's amazing. Um, you know what the back of a box of Pop-Tarts says, it says remove the foil, different conversation for a different day, wow. Secondly, it says, put it in the microwave. Thirdly, it says microwave it for, do you know how long? Somebody said five seconds. I think last time I checked, it is three seconds. Can you imagine what that meeting was like where they were like, Carl, we gotta get it down to three seconds, four, it's just too long. These people won't wait on it. They won't wait on it, Carl. I don't know why his name's Carl, but in my mind, that's, that's the copywriter for the back of a Pop-Tart box. We, we love now. We love, God, I'm praying about it today, and if you don't answer tomorrow, I'm like, where are you, God? No, Peter's going, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and when you do, he will lift you up. What he's saying is, is that when you humble yourself under him and put down the things that you were not meant to carry, you experience a lift, but it happens in due time.
Don't miss the due time. Don't quit because the time hasn't come. Don't give up because you haven't experienced the relief yet. He says, no, it's something you do consistently and faithfully and over and over again, you humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. And when you do, you experience a relief, but remember it happens in due time. Verse seven, this is the payoff verse right here. This is the verse that if we were gonna honor Tim's mom, that we would put this verse in our memory, just like she's put Psalm 84, 11 in her memory. Cast your anxiety, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Listen to that. Cast all your anxiety onto him because he cares for you. What what, what does that mean? It doesn't just mean, hey, if you're worried about something, just drop it. Stop worrying. Don't worry, be happy. No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean just stop worrying, just drop it. No, he says it's better than that. You are throwing your anxiety onto the one who can handle it. You're throwing your anxiety onto the one that can actually do something about it. You're handing your anxiety to the one who was meant to carry it. And I'm not saying all anxiety is caused by us carrying something we are not meant to carry, but a lot of times it does. A lot of times anxiety stems from us carrying something that we were never meant to carry. You don't have the ability to hold the whole world in your hand. Your shoulders are not big enough to carry the health of yourself or the health of your family. Your your shoulders are not broad enough for you to carry the economic security for our country. Your back is not strong enough to carry peace in the Middle East. No, when, when you start feeling that sense of anxiety, you remind yourself, I can't do it anyway. I can't carry it anyway. I wasn't meant to carry this. And so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not dropping it. It doesn't mean I don't care. It doesn't mean I'm not concerned about it. It doesn't mean that I, I'm just living in the state of zen where I have nothing to worry about. No, 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 that's ridiculous. That's, that's not being human. That's not being a follower of Jesus, a diligent, loving, responsible follower of Jesus. No, I'm gonna care and I'm gonna be concerned and I'm gonna help and I'm gonna step up when I can, but I'm not gonna carry it because I wasn't meant to carry it. When anxiety creeps in, I'm, go, I'm, I'm not just gonna drop it. I'm going to cast it onto the one who cares for you. How, how do we know God cares for you? How did Peter know that God cared for him? My guess is whenever Peter wrote this in the backdrop of his mind, he had the cross. He had to have been thinking about that moment where he felt like his life was over. That moment where he felt like everything that he had lived for had come crashing down. That moment where he realized he loves me. He cares for me. His concern is not just concern. His concern has moved him to action. He's the one that's doing something about it. I denied him. 
I said I would never. I said I would always be there. I said I'd always fight for him. I was carrying it with him. But when the moment came where they said, weren't you with him? I said, I've never seen him before in my life. I have no idea what you're talking about. Remember, Peter was the dude that when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, do you remember what he did? When I was a kid, I was like, can I do that as well? Is that like an acceptable move? He cut the dude's ear off. He was like, don't you touch my savior. Sliced his ear off. He's like, and by the way, notice how exact I was. Tell your friends, right? Jesus looked at him and be like, back down. You are not him. Picks up the ear and just <laughs> reattaches it to the, to the guy's head. Crazy. That's the Peter, that kind of boldness, that kind of courage. And then moments later, a little girl, a 12-year-old girl is coming up to him being like, wait a second, I used to, I see, I've seen you with him. And he goes, me? No, no, not me. You must be thinking about somebody else. And in that moment, I'm sure he felt like, the lowest of lows. He felt like my life is over. And then he sees Jesus up on this cross crying out to God. And when it dawns on him, when he realizes, maybe it was after the resurrected Savior on that beach where they're having breakfast and Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Jesus, and Jesus said, do you love me? Peter says, yes. And Jesus says it again, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, you know I do. And he says, well, then feed my sheep. And it's maybe in that moment that Peter realized, oh my goodness, he really cares for me. He cares for me. And so when he said, cast your anxiety onto him, he said it because he knew God cares. Because God cares, you can cast your anxiety onto him. And he had to have the backdrop of the cross in his mind when he wrote this verse. That the way you cast it on him is you remember the cross. You remember what Jesus did. You remember that the almighty God crammed his divinity into a human body and that human walked on earth, fully human, fully God, perfect life, and gave up his life, sacrificed his life for you. You remember the cross. You cast your anxiety onto him, the one that hung on a Roman cross. You cast your anxiety onto him by turning it into prayer. You take what you feel, you take the energy that's sucking life from you, and you turn that into a prayer. This is what Paul taught us. Paul came and put the practical application on this inspiration that Peter gave us. You cast your anxiety onto him because he cares for you. And then Paul comes behind him and says in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, through prayer and petition, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Why did he say with thanksgiving? Why did he say that? Because gratitude... If, if, if anxiety is all out in the future, if fear is all out in the future, anxiety, anxiety wants to get you out there, living in the uncertainties. What does gratitude do? Gratitude snaps us back into the now. Gratitude snaps us into the reality of the now. Jesus said, hey, don't forget that when you're about to step into doing something hard like building a building, make sure to count the cost. 
And in the same way, make sure to count your blessings when you're about to fight something hard. You gotta count your blessings one by one and remember all that God has done. And when we count our blessings, it snaps us into the now. I don't know what's gonna happen then, but I know right now I'm alive. I don't know what's gonna happen then, but I know right now I'm not alone. I don't know what's gonna happen then, but I know right now God is on my side. And so he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He's given us handles. He's given us application. He's saying, here's how to do it. And then he says this peace, the peace, listen to this, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Have you ever tried to explain the peace of God to someone? And you're like, man, I'm so sorry. My words are falling short. I don't even know how to explain this, partially because I don't even understand it. It's so miraculous. It's so beautiful. All I know is, is that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will, what? What's the word? Come on, let's all say it together. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard. It will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It will build this wall of protection, this hedge of security going, anxiety, you can't get in here. I'm sorry, you don't have the code. And also, this is not yours. No, he's with him. She's with him. I wouldn't mess. I'd move on. This is a bad idea. It's a hedge of security, a wall of protection that the peace of God wants to guard your mind, your heart and your soul and your mind. I'm telling you, it's not immediate, but it's like working out. It's like training your body, training your mind, training your soul that when I feel the worry, when I feel the anxiety, I'm going to cast it onto the cross. I'm going to remember the cross and I'm gonna turn that anxiety into prayer. I'm gonna let gratitude snap me back into now and I'm gonna remind myself of what's actually true. And that peace of God is gonna guard my heart and my soul and my mind. I don't know about you, but I need that. I don't know about you, but that's a promise from God that I need to know firsthand. And so you got a couple options. Today's a day of options. You get to choose. You can try to carry your fears, your worries, your anxiety. You can. You've been, some of you are like, I've been doing it for a long time. I know exactly how to do it. I don't know what I'm doing. You can try to carry your fears, or would you be willing to cast them onto the one who cares for you? As we sing this next song, I just want us to remember two images. I, I, want, I want you to think about the cross. And the cross reminds us that he's willing. He cares. He's saying, hey, I, you can't handle it. I can. And also, I'm letting you know I'm willing to. In what fairy tale does the king say, I'll be the tribute? In what fairy tale does the king say, I'll be the one to sacrifice for the people? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And so the cross reminds us that he's willing. But I want us to also think about the empty grave. I want us to also think about the empty tomb because the empty grave reminds us not only is he willing, he's capable. He's capable. He's powerful enough. He's the one that can actually hold it. 
He's the one that actually can hold the whole world in his hand. He's the one that can actually fix it. He's the one that can actually do something about it. So yes, he cares, but he's also capable. And so Father, today we think about the cross. Father, today we think about the empty tomb. Father, today we tell you that that's an exercise that if we're not engaged in, that we want to be engaged in, of casting our anxiety onto you because you care for us. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Father, thank you for what a, just such a ridiculously remarkable question from Jesus. Such an obvious answer. No, nobody can. None of us can. And so today we just want to tell you that we are yours, that our hands are open, our hearts are open, and that hedge of security, that wall of protection that you promise, your peace, we just beg you, would you give us the eyes to see it, give us the heart to feel it, help us to know that it's here. Father, I know there's legitimate worries and concerns in this room, but today we keep our eyes fixed on you. Our tendency is to fix our eyes on our problems, but today we fix our eyes on you. You're the one who can. You're the one who can, and you're willing. So we cast them onto you. In the powerful and matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.